0: What's up, Redemption Church? Oh, it's so good to see you today. I feel like after that I have to be like, hey, what's up, y'all? My name's Ethan. Like I'm not a real person. Like I'm a character from the show. But, uh, no, hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. And um, that is a real intro to a real show that we did at Redemption Church whenever we were quarantined. Y'all remember the quarantine? Yeah. We were obviously losing our minds. (laughs) But it was real. And it uh, it was good. And? Um, most importantly of all, I feel like we should have called it the Ethan and Trevor Show, not the Trevor and Ethan. I, hey, listen, listen, I had a good idea. I was like, okay, we're quarantined, everybody's stuck at home. Let's call it E.T. Stays Home. I thought that was good, but not good enough. You know, I'm not salty about it. It's um, Let's move on. <laughs> Golly. Now, I will say, though, if you want more from the Trevor and Ethan Show... Um, Trevor and I have been talking. Um, By the way, I'm Ethan, (laughs) if you didn't realize. Um, I had a whole intro video about, hey, I'm Ethan. Uh, If if you want more of the Trevor and Ethan show, then I'm not telling you to, you know, go in drones and and revolt and be like, Pastor Byron, we want more of the Trevor and Ethan show. But if you do, (laughs) you can go to our Connect page on Facebook, our Redemption you just type in Redemption Church Connect, and then just tag Pastor Byron and be like, "We want more of Trevor and Ethan's show. You know, like we really want to do it. We just don't have enough time." But, <laughs> anyways, I'm not, I'm not salty. <sighs> get there, bro. Yeah, we'll get there. There is a reason that I brought up that bumper video, and uh, it was this. I wanted to kind of introduce an idea to you, and it's that who you become and what you accomplish is directly influenced by who you choose to spend your time with. We're going to get into this today. Um, Trevor and I um, are besties. Um, we have been super sentimental and sappy in the last six months. Why is that? It's because I got married back in April. Come on, somebody. I'm going to just keep bringing this up until it goes away. And it's not going away. We're going to stay married the rest of our lives. We're going to be good, babe. Um, and Trevor actually was my best man at my wedding uh do we have a picture of that yeah that's good there we go last time he preached he put up a picture and he cropped a pelican on my face so I think it has something to do with me having long legs I don't know I don't get that joke um but this past week he and I he and I we've been talking a lot about um just the growth that we've seen in each other over the years I've known him for about four years and um with that, we were just kind of discussing different things, and if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Trevor actually preached, and he preached a great sermon, definitely has an anointing on his life, and, uh, and, and if you were here, you know that Trevor's hilarious, he's really funny, he's, he's just always joking around and stuff, and, and we were discussing um, the growth that we'd seen in each other, and he was telling me about how I influenced him, and that he used to think that he was just a goofball. But I could see that there was something inside of him that was meant for leadership. And so um, through our friendship, he said that, that for him, it, he learned how to, that he was worth taking seriously, Great. being taken seriously. And so um, now he's our ministry director here at our church. He handles all the operations, um, serve days on a Sunday morning and everything in between. And it's amazing to see that this goofball has turned into one of our strongest leaders in our yeah. church, right? And that happens through iron sharpening iron, through two believers who are growing together. And then I would say, like, for myself, for me, I personally grew up um, just taking myself entirely too seriously. I just took myself too seriously. I I felt like um, when I look back on it, it's like I was the golden child of the family. I was the golden child of my my tiny little school where um, I was always performing really well. And so... Um, what that did for me was it created this like unrealistic standard of where I needed to be and where I put myself at. And then the first time that I got my legs knocked out from under me, I was like, who am I? You know, and it didn't have to be that bad, but I took myself too seriously. And being friends with Trevor has taught me over the years that you don't have to take yourself so seriously. You can laugh at these things. You can laugh at your failures and your mistakes, and you can continue to move forward. And that's brought a bunch of joy to me. In fact, I would say it's brought so much joy to me that um, it's even changed my value system over the years. And whenever it came to picking a partner for my life, I ended up picking the funniest woman I've ever met in my entire life, Bree Berwick. What's up, girl? She is quiet, but I promise you, she is the funniest girl I know. And uh, we spend 80% of our entire marriage just trying to make each other laugh. And then the other 20%, I'm just getting on her nerves, you know. (laughs) And um, anyways, all that to say that, like, I found real joy in my life that I wouldn't have experienced outside of being in community and being in relationship with another believer who's headed on the same path that I am. Who you become and and what you accomplish is directly influenced by who you choose to spend your time with. And I learned quickly as an adult um, that I'm weak on my own. I don't have all the strength that I wish that I did have. I can't be the man I want to be on my own. I can't be a good follower of Jesus on my own. It's such a strange, like, dichotomy uh, to me that I feel like the Lord is teaching me that as you, whenever I was a child, you, like, you want all these freedoms and everything, right? And you're like, oh, I can't wait till I'm older. I can't wait till I'm older. I can do whatever I want. And then you get older, and then you realize like, I could do whatever I want. And so you do that, and then you ruin your life. And then it turns out, like, like I'm like, oh, yeah, adulthood's going to be so cool. And then me doing whatever I want just looked like me putting on 30 pounds, eating, you know, pepperoni pizza nonstop and playing video games in my underwear. Like, that's what that turned out to be. You know, and it was like, oh, this doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And you realize that, you know, by the grace of God, you learn that you shouldn't actually do whatever you desire to do. As you get older, as you gain that freedom, you have to learn how to use that freedom in a way that is beneficial to you and the people around you. And whether you realize it or not, that is why you come to Jesus in the first place. Is because you have a realization in your heart that that your heart is full of sin and that you need a Savior. And you can't save yourself. That's right. And that's why we come to Jesus in the first place. Who you become and what you accomplish is directly influenced by who you choose to spend your time with. And so um, today, I want to talk to you guys about small groups. My name is Ethan Berwick. I am the discipleship coordinator here at Redemption Church. And one of the things that I'm over is our small groups. And um, what I want to do is I want to cast vision for our small groups today because we're about to jump into launching a new season of small groups. We got a couple people excited in here about it. Last semester we had 170 people in small groups, which was actually really big—bigger than you would imagine. Because back then, that was 80 percent of our entire church that caught the vision of why it's so important to be in community with other believers in a real, um, in a real way. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but we've grown by a whole lot over the last year. Right? We've basically doubled in size. Since then. And so my my hope and my desire for us as redemption church is that we jump from 170 people in small groups last semester to 240 people this semester. And that would begin to set us back up. And I would want to do even more, but I can only get my small group leaders to build up small group leaders so fast because we want to choose quality over quantity. We want to choose longevity. And so um, in three weeks, we're going to be doing a a whole thing. You'll see it. It's a a small group sign-up Sunday, and you guys will jump in there, and you get signed up and everything. And we obviously have more people than we have small groups. And so I want you to know that uh, I want you to get into the groups, so I want to make sure that you're here whenever we're doing that, August 28th. I think is the day, so I want to make sure that you're here for that, and I want to cast some vision for that because I really want you guys to pick up on that there's something to being in a community of believers where you can be seen, known, and heard in a real way um, that creates maturity and growth inside of you. Who you become and what you accomplish is directly influenced by who you choose to spend your time with. This is our big idea for today. The title sermon um, for today is Better Together. Because I believe that we are better together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three concrete truths of the Christian mission. And those three things, I'm going to throw them up front. Spoiler alert is that we are created for community. We are designed for discipleship. And we are made for multiplication. So let's get into it. We are created for community. In this point, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one's going to be a little easier for you to find the answer. The second one, I want you to go home and think about this week. The first question is this. Are you living in community? Are you living in community? It's a pretty simple question, but it's really important. And I think this is a good question because I can make a strong argument um, that you don't have, that if you're not living in a, in a community of people, Surrounding you that you are actually doing the opposite of what you were created for And so for some of you in here, maybe you don't have a community of people around you And you're wondering why you feel like you have no purpose or you feel isolated There's no mission for you There's no, no point to the next day And I would say it's because you don't have a community around you First, I want to address this with scripture So I'll say this um, Out of Genesis 1, 26, This is uh, God has created um, the heavens and the earth And now he's going to create men uh, or create man in verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So what I want to point out right here to you is that it says uh, that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He didn't say, let me make man in my image after my likeness. So what does that mean? Well, this is where we start to get the, the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea that, that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what this tells us, we could get into all of this today. And I'm not going to. I'm going to leave that for Pastor Byron whenever he comes back. But because uh, there's so many books that have been written on this. It's something that's been talked about for 2,000 years uh, or more. But um, it's this idea that God Himself, the very nature of who God is, is a perfect community within Himself. And that there's a perfect relationship that takes place between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so that's the concept that I want you to pull away from this. And then He made us in His image, which means that we. Were created for a community. And then if that's not enough for you, it says in Genesis chapter 2, he creates Adam. And he, he says, he looks at Adam and he says um, in verse 18, chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. He looked at all of the rest of creation and he said, this is good. But he looked at man and said, you shouldn't be alone. There's got to be something to that. And then I'm not even going to make this argument for you. I'll let you figure it out yourself that, like, if you take God out of the picture, what do we do as humans? We create community. We have golf clubs. We go to the bar. You know, we play basketball together. Like, we have Facebook communities. Like, it's just a part of our nature to be a part of a community because we were created for community. And so the first question is, Are you living in community? And if not, I know a really good community of people that you could be in right here. Um, Second question is this, and this is the one that I want you to take home with you and think about. Are you in the right community? Are you in the right community? Because I've met a lot of people in my life, and I've met a lot of people even in this church that I see so much potential in. When I look at them, I'm like, oh, yeah, that person has Purpose stamped on their life. I'm so excited for them. And those people, they they come to church and they they meet Jesus and they're like, oh wow, I have a whole new life inside of me. I can feel it, the transformation of Jesus Christ in my life as my Lord and Savior. But then their internal world and their external worlds never never convene together. They never, they never really like intersect. And so there's something that's happening on the inside, but it never changes on the outside. And oftentimes what that looks like for us is, who do you spend your time with? Because you have new life inside of you, and you're just hanging out with old friends. And the the idea there is this, is, is that you were headed down a path of destruction, and then you met Jesus. And so why would you not change your life? away from that path of destruction with people who are also down that path of destruction. So with that, I also wanna say that you can you can love people um, that are still lost because I'm, I'm not saying that once you're a Christian, you should, you should unfriend all of the people who are not Christians on Facebook and never talk to them again. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you should be smart about how you handle yourself because you wanna choose your relationship with Jesus over your friends. And so if you can't have a relationship with your friends and honor your integrity and relationship with Jesus, then you got to let them go. And you got to trust that God loves them more than you do and that he will handle their life. But he does not want to see you break relationship with him for the sake of your friends. You have to realize what season you're in and what kind of grace is over your life in that season. And I see people that, that think too highly of themselves. And they're like, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to change the world. But it's like, it's like, nah, dude, every time you go over to their house, you just like immediately rip the bong and take eight <laughs> shots and have sex with this girl and that. It's like, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. And obviously there's grace for that, right? Like you, you go and do that. But hopefully you're in a community of people who will be like, hey, bud, <laughs> have you noticed this pattern in your life? Maybe we should set some boundaries so that you can begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord. So I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Um, let's see. And uh, so, so, yeah, so our question is, are, are you in the right community? And Proverbs thirteen twenty says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. If you, hang away, if you hang around fools long enough, you will find yourself in harm. That's right. Undoubtedly, that's how that works. And there's, there's um, scripture after scripture that talks about be careful who you choose to spend your time with in this, in this scenario. And what I would say to that is be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. Be in the world, but not of the world. And I could feel some of you probably pushing back on me a little bit right now. Um, saying like, well, Jesus hung out with sinners, so I should do it too. I want to be clear on something with you guys. Just think about this, that Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. And I know this is true because no sinner ever came up to Jesus, or at least it didn't make it in the Bible because they probably weren't worth much, that came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, you should follow me. I got this whole life thing figured out. No. No. Jesus loved these people. He had compassion and grace on these people. And then he said, follow me. So sinners hung out with Jesus. And we should understand what season of life we're in because we were talking about that. um, We were singing about that earlier, right, that Jesus is our firm foundation. If you don't have a firm foundation to stand on with Jesus, then you're just going to get blown over. So stop putting yourself in situations to where you can be blown over. You need, to, you need to find your grace zone as a new believer coming in or as, a, as someone who's coming back into the church for the first time. Is this making sense to you guys? And just to throw on that, be in the world but not of the world, I would say Romans 12.2. It says, do not be conformed of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a great scripture. You can preach on this thing all together on its own. But basically, I just want you to take the idea that, like, there has to be a renewal of your your mind that takes place. There's a transformation that takes place. And that takes time. And so you have to give yourself time, give yourself space to be able to do that. This is pretty cool. I, um, I just scrapped, like, half of my sermon from last service. Because there was a lot that I didn't get to in my sermon notes. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you guys all that. So y'all have like an 11 a.m. exclusive. So we're talking about community and how we're created for community. Um, and so I want to bring up community in the New Testament. We talked about the Old Testament just briefly. Um, that, I mean, you could go on and on about it. But like we just talked about like the creation of man and what that was like and how we were created for community. And so I also want to bring up that um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that there's still community to be had. And in the New Testament, we see that in the book of Acts, the church exploded. Following the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the 12 disciples were, were left to share the gospel of what Jesus had done. And the church blew up. It was huge. It could just grew and grew and grew. It went from 12 people to thousands and thousands of people very quickly. And we see in Acts that the church did two things: that it um, it had a they had a big worship gathering, which we would consider that to be our Sunday morning service right now, where everybody in the church is coming together, and we're going to worship together through um, the reading of the word and through song and through relationship. That we're here all together as a church, and it says that we shouldn't forsake that. It's really important. But then it also shows that. whenever they weren't doing that, that they were meeting in each other's homes and that they were having basically like a little house church together. And so what you see is that like, yes, we should all come together and worship together because it helps us stay focused and of one mind. But at the same time, we need more. What I would say to you, anyone who um, just comes on a Sunday morning, this is what I would say to you. I would say, if if you only come on a Sunday morning to church, And even if you're on a serve team, if you're just coming on a Sunday morning, you're missing like 80% of what it means to be a Christian here at your local church, at Redemption Church. So you're missing out on 80% of the life change through Jesus that he wants you to experience. And so with that, um, I think the church history speaks for itself that... That we've been doing small groups, and small groups look a bunch of different ways. There's not necessarily like a right way to do small groups. Churches just choose a way to go for it, and then they go for it. And for us, we found a way that works for us with sermon-based small groups. But one thing that we know is that small groups work because we've been doing that for 2,000 years. And it went from 12 people to the biggest movement that's ever happened in the history of the world. And it's standing firm. Nations and kingdoms have fallen. Yeah. Jesus is still here. So you can't skip out on that. And, and for those people who, I'm talking about that earlier, that like don't connect those dots that like, hey, maybe I need to use some wisdom and gain some wisdom from being with a community of believers who are ahead of me in their, in their walk with the Lord and their maturity in their walk with the Lord. Um, those people who don't make that connection and continue to just live their life the way that they did before with the people that they did before with no space or grace to allow yourself to build a firm foundation in Jesus, um, those people inevitably always leave. And I don't want you to be that person because I feel like God has so much for you here. And so I would say, that you should get on a serve team, you should get in a, in a small group because there's so much relationship to be had, there's so much growth to be had through relationship with other people. And whenever you get into a small group, it's really interesting because um, you get a whole bunch of really different people, right? And you're like, oh my God, they're so weird. Why? Because they're not like you. There's so much growth to be had in that alone. But even more importantly, what it is, is that there's one common denominator in every small group that you go to at Redemption Church. We all love Jesus. We all need Jesus. And I I would suggest it, too, for this reason, because whenever you get into a small group with, with, uh, with other believers that are in there at Redemption Church... You're not just getting in a small group of people who are, who are just leisurely going to be there. We're there for a reason. We're there with intention to come in and talk about Jesus and talk about our lives and how those two things mold together and how we can mature in our faith together. Yeah. Why would you not want to be, whenever you find Jesus, why would you not want to be in a community of people who want to build you up and encourage you and call life where they see it and say, life, you stand up outside of them. The the God, the Holy Spirit inside of you, whenever they see those things, to call those things up. Whenever you are falling short, they're able to call you up from that place. Your old friends wouldn't do that. Your old friends would just let you waller in it. But we know something that they don't, and it's this, that Jesus is calling us to more. And so whenever you're in a, community of believers who are there with you, ready to walk with you through the ups and the downs, through all of it, and they're constant in that is Jesus. There's so much growth to be had. Why would you not want to be with a, pe- a, a people like that? Right. You have the choice and the power to choose who you spend your time with. What kind of person do you want to be? Are your friends helping you become the man or woman of God that he's called you to be and that you want to be? Are your friends helping you become a better husband, a better wife? You get to choose who you want to be, and I want to empower you with that today, that you are created for a community. Are you in the right community? Point two, we were designed for discipleship. If you are a disciple, that means that you are one who follows. So discipleship is you choosing proximity and accessibility with another. How many of you know that it's up to you to figure out who you spend your time with? Don't let life just figure that out for you. You get to choose who gets your proximity and who gets accessibility to you. Who are you going to be close to? Who are you going to let in on the painful parts of your life and your heart and your history? Who are you going to let in on the vulnerable areas of your heart and even the sinful places in your heart that you're ashamed of? Who are you going to let in on that? Because, you know, whenever you, whenever you give up um, the sinful parts of your heart and you share those things and you don't, you don't let shame speak to you anymore to keep you quiet, that, that sin no longer has hold on you. You're designed for discipleship. And discipleship is submitting yourself to the covering of spiritual authority outside of yourself. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a follower of Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are submitting yourself to Jesus and giving over authority of your life to Jesus. Is this making sense to anybody? And. I'll shoot straight with you that, that I don't, I feel like the Lord's really like been opening my eyes and teaching me new things specifically about discipleship and submission and, and spiritual authority. And I don't have it fully figured out, but I know that the Lord has been talking to me about it, and I know that I needed to share it with you. And so, like, I want us to walk through this and really consider what I'm saying and go back home and talk to your friends about this. Talk to your small groups that start in three weeks about this. Talk to um, the Lord about this and and begin to wrestle with him about this because I think there's a level of maturity that's just around the corner and it involves this right here. Uh, Jesus himself took this very seriously. John 5 verse 19 says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. Jesus is God. And he said, I'm not doing it and I I refuse to do it on my own accord. I'm gonna submit to my father's will. Shouldn't we? <laughs> Submission is such a far away part of of what we think about. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's authority. The, there's an encounter, a, a counterintuitive nature of the gospel that we see here in, in our lives and in the Bible. And it's that when you choose to die, you find life. When you choose to die, you find life. And there's things like this all in the Bible that seems counterintuitive, but... There's so much truth to it and when you choose to submit your life you are empowered to actually do more and more life is given to you. I just think it's interesting. First and foremost you want to you want to you find life when you voluntarily submit yourself to the lordship of Jesus and secondly you find life when you voluntarily choose to Submit yourself to other believers who you feel are further along in their maturity walk with the Lord. Because you need something to help guide you along the way. You need, you need a voice talking to you. Why? Because we were created for community. Yes, we want you to hear from the Lord. Yes, we want you to read your Bible and hear from the Lord. But you also need people who have been through what you're going through to speak to you In the seasons, whenever you don't know how to hear the Lord's voice when you feel like he's being silent. And these are great relationships that you'll find in small group. I'm literally trying to hand you a silver platter. And say if you go to small group, you'll get all of the all of the mature friends and friendships and best friends and all of the above. You'll get you'll get the mom, you'll get the dad, you'll get the brother, you'll get the sister, you'll get all of those things in small group. It's right here. You just gotta sign up for it and show up. That's all you gotta do. The idea of submitting yourself under authority of a mature believer is that you're voluntarily creating boundaries in your life to prevent yourself from living in sin. Ain't nobody want to do that. I don't want to do that. Why? Because I have sin and temptation and urges inside of me that want to say, like, I want to get wild. But if we don't create boundaries around ourselves to prevent ourselves from acting a fool, then we're going to do it, and then we're going to continue to walk down that same destructive pattern we had before we met Jesus, yes. where we just do what we do, and we do what we want to do. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Boundaries are the framework of freedom. Wow. And I want to give you scripture and, and ideas to kind of like work through with this. There are plenty of scriptures throughout the Bible that talk about um, how we lie to ourselves. And um, so we should probably listen to it. And I'll give you one example. In Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. And it goes on. Who can understand your heart? Not you. And the quicker you figure that out, it begins to change the way that you choose to live your life and the people that you choose to keep around you. Because we have these faults and these flaws and these secrets that we know about ourselves. We know it. We know we have these things, but we also have unknown sinful motivations, and we also have blind spots that we can not see on our own. And the Lord is the one who sees those things and knows those things, and he knows your heart better than you do. And oftentimes, God will use relationships with other believers to reveal the hidden parts of your heart. And the only way that can happen is if you submit yourself to that friendship, you submit yourself to that relationship, you submit yourself to letting them speak into your life. So first you need to show up. Then you need to check your heart. And allow other believers to speak into your life. Boundaries are the chosen walls. You get to choose them. Chosen walls to put around yourself to keep us in and keep the world out. So there's safety that comes in it because it keeps the world out. But there's also safety in it whenever you're keeping yourself from going out. Because you know that you have limitations. And you know that you still have sin in your heart that the Lord's dealing with. And so you say, I'm not even going to play with that, Lord. I'm going to let myself be known. Even the parts I don't like, even the sinful and shameful parts, I will let them be known. And whenever you make your friends, the people in your small group, other believers, the safeguards of your boundaries, they're the ones that are your boundaries, it's actually really beneficial to our lives. It's a really weird concept, and it doesn't sound fun, but it brings life and life more abundantly. We know this is true because we are called to confess our sins to one another. Um, just an example, uh, last week, Andy Geralds came up here and preached, did a wonderful job. And uh, I came up to him afterwards, and I was like, Lord convicted me. Great job. You did it. And, um, and then part of that, too, the Lord reminded me of a sin that I had in the past that I hadn't repented for. He just brought it up in the middle of the sermon. I don't even know what he was talking about. But he brought it up in the middle of the sermon and the scripture that came with it was was confess your sins to one another. And so I went and grabbed a friend and I sat down and I well first I repented to the Lord about it. And then I sat down with a friend and and we, we talked through it. And there was so much healing that took place in there. There was so much identity that I gained from true identity in Christ that I gained from that conversation. Why? Because I still had shameful thoughts that that lingered in the background. I didn't even know were there. Until the Lord brought it up to me. And so we know that we're called to confess our sins to one another. And I will say this, that love is not God, but God is love. And his love has always had boundaries. Boundaries are good. If love was meant to be without boundaries, then there would be no vow exchange whenever there's a wedding. Love without boundaries is lust. Boundaries are a good thing, and they're meant so you can have a fuller um, experience with love and life. And I learned quickly as an adult that, that you can't be an honest and true follower of Jesus on your own. Um, and as an adult, I, I kind of talked about this at the beginning, that like you gain your freedom, right? And you're like, you've been waiting for this freedom for so long and then you have your freedom and then you find out that having your freedom really isn't good for you. And so what do you do? You don't give up your freedom. You give your freedom to the the people of your choice and the God of your choice. You submit those things to him. And whenever you do that, you find maturity and you find life. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that there is freedom in a miracle, but there is also freedom in wisdom. Okay? There's freedom in a miracle, but there is also freedom in wisdom. And I used to think that freedom and deliverance from a sin, from my sin, would only come through a miracle. And God does do that, and you should pray for that. But he doesn't do that all the time. And so I thought if I couldn't get a miracle, then am I really receiving freedom and deliverance? It was the idea that if you just had enough faith or if you, if you really prayed enough or if you were just sincere enough in your heart, then maybe I wouldn't have to face the temptations in my heart anymore and the urges in my heart anymore. Maybe they would miraculously go away. And, and like I said, you should pray for those things to go away because sometimes the Lord answers those prayers. But we have this idea in our head, uh, in our head that the, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control, um, whenever you receive the Holy Spirit, that, that you should have self-control. And so to you, that means white-knuckling your chair and just gritting your teeth through it. Like, I'm bigger than this ten- temptation. I'm not going to fall for this sin again. I'm not going to, and it doesn't work. <laughs> there's freedom in a miracle, but there's also freedom and wisdom and maturity looks like wisdom of safeguards that you protect yourself with. And in that idea is that there's actually self-control in waking up and realizing that you feel really weak that day. You say, I'm, I feel weak. I need help. And so you reach out to other people in your community, people that are discipling you. And you say, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, these are the urges that I'm having. Hey, I messed up this time, but I'm not going to let it hold me back. I want to tell you about it. So there's there's freedom that we can find in wisdom, in choosing our boundaries and what we see. And I want to say this too. Um, again, like I'm kind of like learning this whole uh, different side to or outlook to discipleship and like submitting yourself to one another. Um, but I, I do want to say this is that submission isn't submission until it feels like submission. You're like, did you just say anything just now? I did. And I'll explain it out. So I think about like King David. We, we, we did a sermon series over King David recently. And um, whenever he was a boy, there was a prophet that came and said, you are going to be the king of Israel. And so what did he do? He went and started trying on king suits, and no, he didn't. He was a shepherd boy, and he got told that, and then he went back to what he was doing and continued to be a shepherd boy and be a really good shepherd boy. And then time passed on, and, and you know the story of David and Goliath, and he became a warrior. And he also became a poet. And then there was this idea that he was building up his character for whenever he becomes king. But most of us, we don't do that. We hear the one moment of like, hey, you're going to be king. And you're like, ah, I'm king, everybody. I'm here. But you're not willing to wait it out. And then we see that, that King Saul, he was the king at the time whenever David was coming up. And David got really close to him. And then Saul turned on him and tried to kill him. And so David had to run away. And David had an opportunity to kill Saul in a cave. And he almost took it, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew that the Lord called him to be king one day, but it wasn't today because he had Saul as king, who was opposed to him. He had a chance to overthrow the authority, but he didn't because he trusted in the authority that God put over him. And so submission isn't submission until it feels like submission. So, if you want to know if you're submitted to somebody, let them say no to you, and let it rile you up inside, and then let the Lord deal with you, and then you go with that no. Instead of choosing to do your own thing, you know what happens? Well, yeah, what happens when you when you don't submit to authority is a really ugly thing. Authority without submission leads to destruction. Every man wants to be a king, but most men won't choose to be a shepherd, a warrior, a poet before they can become king. A man who wants a position of king without the process of character won't become king. He'll become a tyrant. There are a lot of tyrants over the households of families. Because, men, you refuse to submit yourself to somebody. You feel like a king, but your family feels like you're a tyrant. Why? Because you refuse to submit yourself to another man. You also refuse to submit yourself to Jesus. You are not a good king on your own. That's why you need other people speaking life into you. also bring this up that that you see this in church too like we've seen this a lot over the last like i mean it's always happened here and there but it seems like a lot more recently where you see pastors committing suicide or pastors cheating on their wives or pastors having you know like crazy sexual ventures and stuff it's like what happened was it not real did they not love the lord did everything you they say was it a lie Probably not. It was probably true. They were probably being honest. But at some point, they stopped submitting to the people that they chose to be around them and stopped listening to them. Men, you need someone in your life that's going to be like, hey, man, you need to treat your, your woman with more respect. You can't just be talking all this nonsense on her all the time. You're breaking her down. You're not building her up. You need people in your life to be able to call you out. And whenever you're submitting yourself to them, that you automatically go to, because you've already chosen to submit yourself to them, you automatically go to, they must be right. And so you don't try to fight it in your head. If they say, hey, you, you need to, I'm trying to think of an example. You need to, I noticed, I noticed that you were being a little extra flirty with this girl, and I'm sure your wife wouldn't appreciate it. You need to get a hold of that man. You need to have people that you're submitted to that whenever they say that to you, you straighten up. Because you're like, I must have done something wrong even if I didn't know it. And those are the safeguards that you have around you. And people who do not have safeguards around them, people who refuse to submit to any authority in their life, I mean, you take a... A man and woman in a family relationship, someone's going to cheat on somebody because they didn't have anybody that they had in their life to speak in and say, hey, you need to stop that, <laughs> right? So we see these things that that authority without submission leads to destruction. So we talked about, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick. Now we've talked about why it's important to to live in community. We talked briefly, I could go a million different ways about um, why it's so important that we are being discipled by someone else. Now I want to talk about getting to a place where we're able to disciple others. What is our goal as a disciple of Jesus? And it's says point three that we were made for multiplication. So we see the original, the original commission right here in Genesis one twenty six through twenty seven. God made man in his own image, a man and a woman, um, Adam and Eve. And then God said to them in verse 28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. That was like one of the first things he said to mankind. Be fruitful and multiply. And then there was the fall of man and the need for a savior. So later on, the son of God comes. And he saves the world from his sins. And now there's a kingdom of God to be built. And so right before Jesus goes to heaven, he looks at everybody and he says this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's it's known as the Great Commission. And we pray this blessing over you all the time. Whether you know it or not, at the end of service, a lot of times we'll do this. We'll say, hey, raise your hands to receive. What is it? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To do what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. For behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What are we Go do what? Make disciples. That's your calling. You're like, what's my purpose in life? I don't know if I'm going to be an electrical engineer or if I'm going to work in the stock stock market. It's like, ah, that's all secondary. Your first mission is to go and make disciples. And so if you're not a part of that, then what are we doing here? So it says, go and make disciples. And then what does it say to do? Teach them. Teach them. We are called to go make disciples and we are called to mature disciples. And one of the ways that we do that as a church is through our small groups. Sunday mornings are really good for making disciples, right? We want to tell you about Jesus. But small groups, that's where the maturity begins to happen. That's where the one-on-one relationships begin to happen to where people are able to speak into your life teaching you to observe all that he's commanded us. And the best part is, is that we don't have to do it on our own. Because he says right here, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us in this. If you choose this mission, Jesus will be there. If you don't choose the mission, sounds like you're all on If you choose this mission, go make disciples and mature disciples. Some of you, you need to be a disciple, be matured as a disciple, then go and make disciples. Some of you, it's time for you to jump in and go and make disciples because you just let life get too busy. You've chosen other things over over things like small group or opportunities to grow with other believers. So the product of discipleship is multiplication. We were made to multiply. Step one is make disciples. Step two is mature disciples. Mature disciples make and mature disciples. Are y'all picking up on what I'm saying? The Lord is calling us to do this. And here at Redemption, one of the ways is, one of the primary ways that we do that is through small groups. You know, Pastor Byron can only do so much in proximity. He's only got so much time in a day. He's only got so many hands and feet and one mouth. It's a really loud, loud mouth and, he has some fire that he brings and some truth that he brings and I'm so thankful for it. But he can only do so much. Same thing for me. Same thing for the rest of our leadership team. It's like I can only like have like real relationship with like 10 people at a time, right? And that's even pushing it. Especially, you know, like once you have once you have a family and those things. And but I want to throw out the idea to you that that Jesus took 12 disciples and he multiplied them into the biggest movement that's ever happened in the history of the world. And so take this idea that what if I got 10 people and I invested in them and then sent them out? And then they went and got 10 people and invested in them and then sent them out. What do you get? You get Redemption Church. That's how we are where we're at right now. It's because we've invested and discipled and multiplied. And so we want to continue to see that go on. I'll close with this. We're opening signups for small groups, August 28th. So make sure you're here. If you're not, I'll throw a link up after service, but it is first come, first come first serve, because uh, we do only have so many spots, and I promise you that I'm, I'm working on us building up new small group leaders so that we can have more small groups and we can fit everybody into a small group that wants to be into a small group. Small groups are in our Christian DNA. It's in our history as a church, Um, all the way back to the book of Acts. Small groups create opportunities for you to meet believers that are further along in their walk with the Lord. And so they're people that you should partner up with and, and follow after. And small groups are the way that we are going to live on mission as a church to make disciples. Why does Redemption Church exist? To see a gospel center movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. Yes, and we can do this, but we have to do it together. That's the only way that we're gonna change this city and change the surrounding cities. Person by person, family by family, through discipleship.